welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know, a classical podcast put on by classical educators. My name is Thomas Magby. I'm joined, as always, by Mr. A.J. Hannenberg. That's me. That is him. And Mr. Graham Donaldson. I am... Graham Donaldson? Are you having trouble? you need some help there? Are you thinking of something? What are you, you going to do, buddy? <laughs> I'm here. You Are you, though? That answer makes Sorry. me question that. I just... Yep. Hey, and if you were to ask me what we were talking about today, I would have a very loud answer that I would shout at you. Are you prepared for this answer? Wait for the music. Oh, isn't that so good? Can I just keep this playing the entire time? AJ, why are you making that face? Just li- enjoy it. We're going to get sued for this. AJ, this oh, yeah. is not our 30 song. seconds, 30 seconds. It's only 15. We're perfect. <laughs> Woo. This is awkward. Um, yes, we are going to talk a little bit about <laughs> the Wheel of Fortune today. But the Wheel of Fortune is going to be the little final discussion. Fair use because it's educational. Yeah. Oh, perfect. Yeah, and we will make money from this. <laughs> hey! <laughs> Double um, plus. <laughs> but the way we're going to get there first is a little bit of story time with Donaldson, <laughs> and we're going to learn a little bit about the Plantagenet dynasty. And if you're wondering what the Plantagenet dynasty is, it is a dynasty of kings of England, and they just have absolutely wonderful, delightful stories. Oh, um, like happy stories? There are happy stories. There are sad stories. There's Before cruelty. Is- there's joy. There's romance. Um, is this another House of Atreus thing? murder. Yeah. So, um, like... My usual Thursday. That's Wait, right. What? There's tons of fun stuff. <laughs> uh-huh. But um, uh, at the end, but then at the end of it, yes, we are going to talk about this medieval concept of the Wheel of Fortune, and that's how they understood history. Um, but and then we sort of understand history in a different way. Uh, we would say that well, we can talk about how we think as modern people we view the story of history, which was very different than the Middle Ages. So they thought you had to pay for letters and then. <laughs> Piece it together, exactly. and then you get $20,000? <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. Good. Wow. Okay, no so idea. our story begins, like all good stories begin. With Vanna White. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, but close. With a booze cruise. What? Hey. A drunken <laughs> boat uh, ride. Okay. Um, so, well, kind of begins. So uh, we're going to start with Henry I. Okay. He was a Norman king of England. Now, his father was William I, and William I is also also known as William the Conqueror because he conquered England. The Saxons, um, right? The, the Anglo-Saxons. Came in and so, the Saxons. kind of. So William I, he conquered uh, the Anglo-Saxons in the island of England, uh, or the Isle of the what we know as the United Kingdom, Saxons in 1066. Were not stoked about that. I bet Saxons not. were yeah. not happy, the Anglo-Saxons. Yeah. So... Um, uh, so the Anglo-Saxons had their own kings for a while. They had their own clans. They had their own little uh, sections of the world. So we had Wessex, with its most famous king being Alfred the Great. Uh, and one of the greatest stories about Alfred the Great is that um, he's really sad one day about losing his kingdom to the Vikings, and an old peasant woman slaps him for burning <laughs> his food. Wow. Um, and then we have the kingdom of Mercia, we have the kingdom of Northumberland. We have all these little kings with all these small uh, sort of uh, uh, chieftains. And these are the Saxons you're talking and about? And these are the Saxons. No, didn't they, didn't they also invent the first long-distance method of communication? The Saxon phone? Oh. <laughs> it hurts. I'm not even sorry. Oh, it hurts. I'm <laughs> sorry, listeners. Um, anyway, no regrets. So, uh, uh, so the Anglo-Saxons are fascinating, and they could be their own podcast. Uh, and if we're th- if we're thinking of years here, uh, so remember, William the Conqueror conquered the Anglo-Saxons in 1066. So we're talking about uh, the early Middle Ages, end of the Roman Empire. So the Anglo-Saxons were hanging out, doing their thing. Um, a lot of them were Christian. They had been uh, ca- uh, uh, converted and catechized by many of the great saints of the early church. Um, 
They were starting lots of monasteries. Lindisfarne off the coast of Scotland is one of perhaps the most famous one. Lindisfarne? Lindisfarne. Yeah, Lindisfarne. That's what I heard. Lindisfarne. Yeah, good. Uh, so Linda that, was in charge and who? Isn't that a... Uh, <laughs> she did not mess around. That's exactly isn't that a Bob Dylan right. song? Very, very strict rule. <laughs> yeah. Lindisfarne? Yeah, I ain't going Lindisfarne no more. <laughs> no, uh, Mag- um, Maggie's Farm. Maggie's Farm. Okay, good. Yeah. And then there, so there was lots of um, monasteries popping up in Ireland. Lindisfarne uh, was a famous one. And they were very interesting because they were an expression of Christianity that was far removed from Catholic, the, the Roman Catholicism of the continent. Mm. It was closely... Like, it was so close to the pagan years that it had some pagan influence, right? right? A little yeah. bit of Celtic druid, druidicism? A um, little bit. Druid- but more that just, and uh, uh, that actually they, their expressions of the liturgy, um, they actually got into conflict with a lot of the, the sort of Roman Catholicism uh, uh, um priests and bishops who were appointed to come to England and, and, and do things. Anyway, that's a different story. So Anglo-Saxons. Um, then around the year 800, uh, the Vikings kind of woke up and pretty much conquered everything. Um, so we had the Vikings. They took over what was is now the uh, what, what, or what was in the Middle Ages called uh, the, the Duchy of York, which is in the north. Um, and they actually established a pagan kingdom. So you had this pagan king up in the north, and then you had these uh, Christian Anglo-Saxon kings in the south, in Mercia um, and in um, uh, uh, Wessex. Um, and they were fighting the Vikings, couldn't be the Vikings because the Vikings were awesome. And, and isn't it true that around this time, I know that I know that earlier when Julius Caesar came up and started conquering Britain, mm-hmm. he stopped because the people were so dang poor that there was nothing to steal. Mm. So was this were the Vikings like well resourced and the people of Britain, the Saxons, they didn't have anything? Yeah. Is that so the, still the, the case? The Saxons, yes, were not a very sort of uh, rich not a wealthy people. Folk. And they were they were warriors, but they were not fierce warriors like the Vikings. Yeah. Um, the farther north you got, the more fierce they got in terms of warriors. So the Scots, which at that time were known as the Picts. P-I-C-T-S, um, and, and also the Welsh in the West. Um, they were fierce warriors who would paint their faces blue, so um, Braveheart got something right, and they would fight buck naked. What? Really? So and they would freak saw, everybody out so much that yes. other people would mm-hmm. run away. Yeah. Exactly. So if you saw a naked Scotsman running towards you with like a giant sword, blue face screaming his eyes out, um, you would not want to fight that man. They were the yeah. berserkers, right? Yeah. That's where we get... Mm-hmm. Oh, no, berserkers were the Vikings. Oh, oh really? Um, yeah. Anyway, so then the Vikings that had taken over this huge section, and the, you had the Anglo-Saxons who were fighting for their survival. Meanwhile, in what is Normandy, so the north coast of France, the part that was invaded in World War II, so, you know, that uh, the beaches of Normandy, in Normandy, you had... The Vikings had previously conquered sections of that, and you had the Normans and you had the Britons. And the Britons are in Brittany, which is in France. Um, and if I'm correct, the Normans are like a blend between French and Viking. And mm-hmm. they sort of blended together to become Normans. So you had this very sort of strong Duke of Normandy. And the Duke of Normandy's name was William. And he decided that he was going to take this island to the north of him, just off the coast of Normandy, and make it his own. So he had the whole um, sort of upper half of France was his kingdom as the Duke of Normandy, and he invades England in 1066. He defeats the uh, Anglo-Saxons, and he defeats the Vikings at two battles, the Battle of Hastings and the Battle of Stamford Bridge, and becomes the de facto king of the British Isles. He becomes the first king of England. So William the Conqueror, 1066, he dies in 1087. 
Um, his son, William II, was 1087 to the year 1100. Um, short reign, didn't really do very much. Wait, so he was born the year his dad died? No, no, sorry, his reign. I'm talking about his okay. reign. So he was king from 1087 to 1100, um, and he had no son. So when he died, it went to his brother, and his brother was Henry I, and this is where our Plantagenet story is going to start. So Henry I um, had a son who was William, and he was going to be William III, and when you were a prince, um, the, the name uh, for the prince was called an aetheling, A-E-T-H-E-L-I-N-G. It's just an old English word meaning like anointed or meaning the next in line. He was William Aethling is how he's known. And all of the sort of, um, so if you think you have, you have Normans mixing with the Anglo-Saxons and you've still got all this old Viking, you have these three very different cultures coming together, three languages coming together. And Henry I did a lot to kind of harmonize uh, these three cultures. Yes, there was lots of problems, but it was an age of peace and prosperity. And this was all um, sort of uh, coalesced in the person of William Aetheling. He was going to be this promised king. Um, the British people had, or they, they weren't British yet, but the, the island had not had a peaceful transition of, of power from king to king for many, many, many reigns because they would be killed by Vikings or um, they would be these warring tribes. Um, they just didn't have any kind of any uh, government consistency. But here you had... William Aethling, who loved his father and his father loved him. Aethling, William was trained in all of the arts uh, of the day, uh, literature, fencing, fighting, uh, uh, statescraft, all the things. He Falcons. was falconry. falconry. The dude was ready to rule. Um, and so in your mind, you need to visualize that England or the, the empire, not the empire, the, the kingdom at this time is the north of France and England. Mm. So they would have seen the English Channel not as, a, as a, a, um, a border that we see between England and France now. They would have seen that as a river or as like a body of water they had to cross to continue to their kingdom. So they would cross this every, every once in a while, and it's not a very long journey. Anyway, so we have our drunken boat party, which is where our, be our story begins. Yeah. William Aethling and all his bros <laughs> and his buddies, everybody was on this boat and they were in France and they were going to go back to England for, you know, just uh, a part of their journey. His dad, Henry I, um, uh, set sail before them and uh, uh, William Aethling uh, in his uh, the hubris and they were all they were all rip roaring drunk. Everybody in the boat was wasted. Um, they said, "We're gonna beat Dad home. Oh. We're gonna get there first, and uh, we're on a party boat. And all of the best and brightest future generation were on this boat. The boat was called the White Ship, um, and it was the, the hope. Sounds cr creative. Yeah, they <laughs> worked hard for yeah. that one. What um, do we call it? The White Ship. White Ship. <laughs> um, and all the hopes of the of the of the peaceful transition to power on this boat. They were drunk as skunks." Priests came to bless the boat on their voyage, and the priest said, you guys shouldn't sail mm. because you're all drunk and this is very dangerous. And all the priests were laughed at and mocked by the drunken, by the drunken king, or prince, and his buddies. Um, and so um, he wanted to beat his dad home so he could get there and be like, hey, dad, I'll beat you because um, he's drunk. Um, and, <laughs> I'm be a better king. Yeah, and off they sailed, and the ship uh, uh, crashed into the rocks. Oh. 
And everybody, and then they were wearing, you know, think of they were in their party clothes, they're wearing rich flowing gowns of beautiful uh, laces and silks and all these sorts of things. Um, it was story, it was nighttime. Mm. Everybody was thrown into the sea. And the future king of England, William Aithling, is clinging to a board and he makes his way to a lifeboat. And so they're like, all right, phew, we got, you know, the king, the future king is saved. And William Aithling heard the cries of his half-sister in the water. Mm. Uh, her name was Matilda. It was from Henry I's first marriage. Um, and Matilda was crying and drowning, and William Aithling dove in wow. to save her, and they both drowned. Wow. Um, well, yeah, I mean, if he would have saved her, that's what you'd want from a king, That's though, what you'd right? want from exactly. a king. That he is bold in times of mm-hmm. crisis. I mean, he sounds like a good guy, He was a right? great—he would have been a great king, um, except for the bad idea, you know, of— of Party boat. But, yeah, but party boat. Bo- like, King's party boat. That's just part of the and, thing. And especially back in the Viking days, everyone yeah. drank. Yep. It, wasn't, it mm-hmm. wasn't unusual for a king to get rip-roaring drunk. And then mm-hmm. especially to go out sailing, it would have said, number one, he can hold his liquor. Number two, he can do that while sailing. It, it would have been, I think been, it would have been admirable mm-hmm. in a king at that period. So he drowns and his sister drowns and all of these luminaries of this promised golden age drown in this mm-hmm. shipwreck. Uh, There was a chronicler at the time, and he wrote, and this is a translation, instead of wearing a crown of gold, his head was broken by the rocks of the sea, Um, which is also like very blunt British like history. (laughs) Um, But anyway, so news came back. Uh, There was only one survivor on the whole boat, Um, and he was a butcher. And he had come to the boat because he knew he wanted to get paid for his wares. And he got to the boat and they're like, come to England, this is a party. He's like, and he just didn't get off the boat in time. And so he's like, ah, crap. Uh, and they sailed and it drowned and all these drunk people died. And the only way he survived was he wrapped himself in like the skins and bladders of, of, the, of the animals that were on the boat that they're going to cook or whatever. And uh, held onto those things and someone like fished him out of the water a couple days later. Gross. He comes to the king, Henry I, in England and recounts to him what has happened. And legend says that Henry I never smiled again. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so we have a huge problem because William Aithling was the only male heir to Henry I. So there was no king. And Henry I was old and he did not have, he was not going to father any other children. So they had to have a contest. So- <laughs> was it? Word games? It was not word games. Yeah, it was not a Wheel of Fortune. That's going to come later. Um, so there was two was options. Was there a contest? Is that it? There's no contest. Oh. There was two options. Um, uh, Henry the First had a daughter, and her name was Matilda, which was the same name as the girl who drowned. Yeah. So different, different, Matilda. different Matilda. So he and, had he, wait wait he had one daughter by one wife named Matilda, named Matilda. <laughs> and, then and then he had another daughter by another wife named Matilda. Matilda. That's right. That doesn't cause. <laughs> problems at home? I mean, just, it's, uh, it's efficient. Maybe, maybe he wanted to be able to be like, I want to round up my daughters. Matilda! And then they, and both they all come both come running. running. Daughters, <laughs> go outside. <laughs> yes. So he has Matilda, and Henry, so she was married to the Holy Roman Emperor. So she was Empress Matilda. What? Wait, Holy Roman Emperor, not Henry, the Pope. Henry that, V. That, that, that was what not I was the Pope. Yeah, the Holy sorry. Roman Emperor. Okay, different. Um, which was, in their eyes, the Emperor of the Roman Empire. Now, okay. the Roman Empire was done, but... In the, in the eyes of the Middle Ages, it still continued, but it was the Holy Roman Empire, but everything sort of shifted to Germany, what we now know as Germany. So she was married to Henry V, not the Henry V of Shakespeare, but she was married to em- uh, Emperor Henry V, um, and she was Empress Matilda. Um, and then Henry V dies, there was an age difference, and so Empress Matilda comes home, 
And Henry the First says, I want you to be queen of England. And she's like, okay. <laughs> she was Except, okay with it? Really? She, oh, yeah. She was that a big down step? with it. Isn't that a big step down? Well, she was empress. Oh, oh yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it was a big step wouldn't down, that just, for sure. Well, I mean, would that, wouldn't that just add to her kingdom? Like, yeah. if she's already uh, empress, and he's like, I want you yeah, to be queen the Roman. Well, like, did she just she's no, it? I mean, she's no longer a ruling empress because her husband's dead. So she's still empress entitled, but her kids are now the oh, emperor. Oh, took over. Got it. So she comes home. And the dad says, I want you to rule as Queen of England. And she says, I can do that. He says, I, but I want you to get married to somebody to sort of solidify your power base because my people are not going to accept rule by a woman. Please tell me she chose the butcher. She did not choose the butcher. Oh, man, Dang I it. thought it was going to come I back. really like anyway, that guy. Yeah. Um, and then meanwhile, we have um, William, Henry I's brother um, uh, had a kid um, named Stephen. Um, <laughs> Why are you laughing? I don't know. It's a, Stephen's a funny name. So and so Stephen, <laughs> like Matilda yeah. and William and all these great, and then like Stephen. Stephen. He just sounds like the neighbor kid that kind of yeah. hangs out. That, and he was kind of like the neighbor kid king. Yeah. Um, so his brother Stephen had a son named Stephen. <laughs> okay, oh, no. And wow. so this nephew Stephen, so the Stephen nephew to Henry the first, yeah. was the next male in line for the throne. So he's like, the throne should be mine. And Henry's like, I don't want it to go to my nephew. He's kind of a dud. And Matilda was... He's a, an, he's a bit of a Stephen. He was a bit, yeah. And <laughs> yep. Matilda was like an empress of the Roman right. Empire, of the Holy Roman Empire. And if, she, and if we can just get her someone who, to marry somebody who had lots of great land, um, then that can sort of solidify her power base. Like she's a Beyonce and she needs a Jay-Z. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And if you had that, then maybe the people would follow her as queen. And although he wouldn't be king, he would be prince. Maybe he can kind of rule until they had a kid. That was what Henry I wanted. That's what he said on his deathbed. Um... And so who Matilda married was a guy, oh, AJ, if you like these names, was a guy named Jeffrey. (laughs) It sounds more legitimately British than Stephen. Stephen. I don't know. And Jeffrey um, had yellow hair. No, sorry. Jeffrey had, uh, he would always wear a yellow uh, blossoming flower in his hair. He was a flashy dude. Okay. Um, And in Latin, uh, yellow flower was planta genista. And so he was known as Henry Plantagenet. Okay. Sorry, Jeffrey Plantagenet. He was known as Jeffrey Plantagenet. Um, and he was the Duke of um, 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 Angevin. Sort of, so he was the, so he had a huge kingdom in, in sort of the western coast of France. So if, if Matilda married him, they would pretty much rule like all of the, the, the northern coast of France. So if you think of like the small case letter R, if you put that over France, that's that would be their kingdom. Okay. Inner France was still in the, um, the the French royal family, but he she would have been they would have Normandy from their grandfather or from their yeah their grandfather William the Conqueror, and then they would have this southern kingdom, um, and then they would have England. And so they thought, okay, if you bring this in, then people are going to respect her as queen, and Geoffrey can be kind of like this prince. And he was flashy. He wore great armor. His spurs were made out of gold. Um, uh, he was really awesome, except Matilda wasn't really taken with him. She thought he was kind of lame. But she's like, <laughs> fine, I'll marry him anyway. She likes the rugged ones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she now, likes him a little bit ruffled around the edges. There was one problem with Geoffrey Plantagenet. Um, everybody in England and France, or everybody in Normandy, thought that the Angevin were descendants of Satan's daughter. Oh, that's problematic. Wow. Okay. They yeah. thought he was the spawn of Satan? He thought, the literal no, spawn? so oh. Satan had a daughter okay. named uh. um, Melusine. What? 
And she married one of the first Angevin rulers, and then they found out that she was Satan because when she went to church, uh, she refused to go in, and when they dragged her in, she flew out a window. Oh, well, that would do it. But her satanic blood apparently bubbles in the veins of all of the Angevins and the, therefore the Plantagenets. And so all the Normans thought that these Angevins were uh, spawns of Satan because in their minds they did two unforgivable things, murder priests and had bad table manners. <laughs> I kid you not. So, really? Yes. Bad table manners were important. Bad table manners were important. important. French, man. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, okay. so here comes Geoffrey Plantagenet, Maybe Spawn of Satan, maybe, <laughs> but he's flashy. Marrying Matilda, and she's going to be Queen of England, and everybody in England said, we're going with Stephen. So Stephen becomes king, uh, and then there's this big old war. Yeah. So there's a war between sort of the continental French and Stephen, who's in England. Was Matilda into Stephen? No, that's her, um, that's her cousin. The question remains. <laughs> she was not. Remember, Stephen was kind of like a derpy derp. Yep. Right. I'm just, well, I, what I really want is for Matilda to find a quality guy. Mm. She did. It was Henry wow. V, but he's dead now. Bummer. Yeah. Well, I, I think they all are. Yeah, well. <laughs> anyway, so there was this big <laughs> old fight. true. He's not wrong. He was <laughs> dead now in the story. Yeah. So there was oh, a big okay, old fight gotcha. between Matilda and Stephen, <laughs> and the famous line in England was that Christ and his saints were asleep. So there's this sort of terrible trial of civil war between Stephen, who claims to be king, and Matilda and Geoffrey Plantagenet, who claim to be the rulers of, the, of this new empire of most of France and England. And there's just turmoil and bloodshed. Um, and it's sort Wait, of Wait, so Matilda wasn't neutral? Oh, Matilda wanted this thing. Matilda was in with Jeffrey. Jeffrey. Yeah, she doesn't love Jeffrey, but she loves her power. And at least he looks, you know, at least he dresses well. And he, he, was, he would wear purple with, like, full armor and uh, his flowers in his hair and his golden spurs. I mean, he was a flower of chivalry. Mm -hmm. But just Matilda, she just wasn't feeling it. She just didn't <laughs> well, I mean, feel I, it's, it's probably going to feel like mm -hmm. a step down to go with anybody other than the, the, the Holy Roman, Roman Emperor. Emperor. That's right, yeah. yeah. And apparently Henry V, uh, the Holy Roman Emperor, was pretty sweet, pretty sweet guy. So there's this whole big fight. Stephen basically controls what we know as England, and um, uh, uh, Matilda and Geoffrey control Normandy. Normandy is their power base. And they have a son, and their son's name is Henry. Um, and so Henry is raised um, uh, knowing that he has his birthright is to be the king of England. So now you have someone who is the grandson of the king that everybody recognized, Henry I, and he is the Duke of Normandy, so he's actually more powerful than Stephen because they just had more industry and people and uh, a sort of a stronger economic base. And Henry, Duke of Normandy, is a bit of a boss. Hmm. Um, he invades England at 13. Wow. Um, he Su he successfully? No. Oh. Uh, but he has this big old fight, and he, <laughs> he gets and he gets kicked out, and he's like, I'm coming back. Um, so he gets kicked <laughs> out, and Stephen defeats him. But this shows you kind of the metal that this kid had. Yeah. He's Duke of Normandy. Geoffrey Plantagenet dies, his flashy father. And so he becomes Duke of Normandy at 18. Wow. And he ever sort of world travels, word travels fast that Henry II is the man. Um, and it's pretty much assumed that one day he's just going to marshal all of these troops that had more military power and he's going to go in there and he's going to stomp Stephen. Like it's just happening. It's a foregone conclusion. So they're like, all right, who's Henry II going to marry? This is a mm -hmm. big deal. 
Is he going to marry someone from Spain? Or uh, because if he marries someone from Spain, you know, you'd have him on his side. Is he going to marry somebody from France? Is he going to marry an Italian? Is he going to marry people in the Lowlands, which we know is Holland? Who is Henry II? Or he's when he becomes king, he's Henry II. Who's Henry, Duke of Normandy, going to marry? Kid's 18. Um, um, he's chomping at the bit to, like, you know, uh, to go conquering. Start some fights. And into our story now walks a woman whose name was Eleanor of Aquitaine. Now, Eleanor of Aquitaine... Is she Spawn of Satan? No. <laughs> She is not. Henry is because he's a Plantagenet. Oh, so this wow. kid is because his dad was Jeffrey. His dad was Jeffrey Plantagenet. So the Plantagenets are spawns of Satan. So I'm wondering if he if he ever wore that as a badge. They don't. They just, it oh. was like they didn't really talk about it. Oh, but they like but, you ever wonder if one of them really embraced mm-hmm. it, and like got a tattoo of yeah. a pentagram. Well, the Plantagenets are famous for their temper. Oh, so joined up. And it's sort of that 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 hot blooded Southern blood the uh, hot blooded southernness that they have in the in the Jeffrey Plantagenet line mm, okay as opposed to the cold blooded northern french normans anyway so henry the 2nd looking for a wife um, in eleanor. comes yeah. eleanor of aquitaine she is 19 years older than oh. henry the 2nd she is married to the king of france louis the 7th louis the 7th was um, a very pious man he did not want to be king. He wanted to be a monk. And so it sounds like the kind of a perfect yes. king. He wanted to be a monk. He wore a hair shirt. He fasted. Um, he wanted sort of the piety and salvation of his people. He wanted to be a good man. And Eleanor of Aquitaine was super bored. Yeah, I was going to say it sounds <laughs> like he's a, as exciting as a sheet of drywall. Mm-hmm. She says, I married a monk, not a king, is what mm-hmm. she is a famous wow. phrase. And um, she ended up getting the marriage annulled. Fun fact, the kings of France had all of their marriages annulled from, like, like Louis the first to Louis the... Anyway, you can look it up. I can't remember what it is. But they got annulled marriages all the time. Yeah. So this was kind of scandalous. Um, and so... But kind of not. Kind like, of not. Yeah. So she gets out of it. So she's a free agent. She's 19 years older than Henry. She meets Henry, and he is, like, just full of hot fire. And mm. she's, like... That guy. So wow. she's thirty-seven. Yeah, she. Uh, maybe, maybe she's not nineteen. I think she's something like thirty-two or thirty-three. So okay. she's in her thirties when she meets Henry, who's eighteen, nineteen. But I mean, at, at that point, older kings would have been marrying younger girls all yes. the time. This probably was not super yeah. shocking. Not super shocking, but a little bit of politics. So the Duke of Normandy is uh, in vassalage to the King of France. Um. But the Duke of Normandy is also in, and supposed to be the King of England. Can you, what's, a, what's a vassal? Can you explain um, so that? So the, the King of France is the liege of the Duke of Normandy. So the Duke of Normandy must pay vassalage to the King of France. Um, the King of France says, hey, you know what? The Normans should go. Um, we need your help in the war against Italy. You'd have to do it. So they got to come when they, gotta come. they call, when called. So that means that if, if Henry II wants to get married as, a, as the Duke of Normandy, the King of France gets a say oh. in yes and or no. And didn't she just break up and with the King of France? she just broke up with the King of France. And he wasn't too thrilled about it, but he got annulled anyway because he didn't really care about marriage. I mean, right? he's a monk. He's a monk. Yeah. He just wants so to do did, monkey he, stuff. He didn't become a monk? Well, he didn't because oh. he was king and he's right. not allowed to. So I, I feel like the kind of person you want for a king is someone who would have rather been a monk, but mm-hmm. once elected king must mm-hmm. embrace kingship. And, and it doesn't and sound like he Philip did. The, uh, sorry, Louis VII did it, and our the king we're going to end our Plantagenets uh, is Henry III, and Henry III wanted to be a monk, and he didn't. He was a crappy king because he wanted mm. to be a monk. Anyway, huh. Eleanor of Aquitaine meets uh, Henry II for the first time, and she is enthralled with his sort of energy and passion, um, and they decide to get married 
without consulting the king Ooh. of France. And they do it, and then all of a sudden, I mean. Sorry, that was uh, a big reaction yeah. on my part. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of okay. into this story. And it was like really, sorry, I'm following the story yeah, sorry. along. It was really soon after. It was very soon after, like yeah, within moment. months. Yeah, yeah. And they just sort of announce it. I am now Duchess of York. Who? Or sorry, Duchess of, uh, of, of Normandy, Eleanor of Aquitaine. And Henry um, Aquitaine is a giant section of France. Um, it it is, sounds like a fuel additive. Mm-hmm. It's in, so... Um, <laughs> Uh, Chevron, now with Aquitaine. Now with Aquitaine. It, and it sort of completed <laughs> the western, southern part of the empire. So she brings in, so now now their kingdom looks like the R in France. Um, so her Aquitaine was like the part that's closest to Spain. Okay. Um, so she comes in with this, with this empire. He's the Duke of Normandy. They now have like lots of troops and they're going to go to England and they're going to stomp Stephen. So Stephen is trembling Stephen is in his toast. bland yeah. little um, So... Um, they go in, and to Stephen's credit, Stephen wins a couple of key battles. Remember, Henry's 19, and yes, he is full of hot metal, and he is um, a but that gallant, can get you into trouble. And right. he is gallant. But Stephen won some battles, and it got to the end. Uh, and when they got there, England was just weary from war with the Matilda Jeffrey War with Stephen, and then Henry's coming in. He's like, "I'm gonna kill everybody," and Stephen says, "Listen, let's. I'm an old man." Let's stop this war. I will recognize you as my heir. And Henry's like, okay, I could continue war and kill Stephen, but all the people in England are going to be ticked at me because I keep fighting. Or I can acquiesce and say, fine, I will be your heir, and I'll just wait for you to die. And so he said, fine, I will be your heir. Wow. This kind of ticked off Stephen's kids. (laughs) Right. You can imagine. Um, So there's just one little story. He doesn't play a big part. His name was Eugene. Oh, man. (laughs) Stephen. And so, so Eugene lived in the continent in the Holy Roman Empire, and he was a big uh, licentious jerk, and oh. he just had massive orgies. And um, and when Henry the Second was now, or when Henry was now the heir, Eugene died mysteriously at age twenty-three uh, from food poisoning. Yeah, sure he did. Um, well, he ate something weird, yeah. but he dies of food poisoning, and everyone was just like. That's God's judgment for orgies. And so oh, then off okay. they go. <laughs> um, so, Henry, so Stephen dies. Henry is now king. And I want to read a little quote from a chronicler who chronicled Henry uh, about him. So if you see, I can find it right here. Um, and Stephen died like right after that. Mm-hmm. Huh, okay. Well, um, this so all worked out go. really well for Henry. Yes, it is. So Henry II. Um, he, says the chronicler, he was a man of easy access <laughs> and condescending pliant and witty, second to none in politeness, strenuous in warfare, very prudent in civil life. He was fierce towards those who remained untamed, but merciful toward the vanquished, harsh to his servants, expansive toward strangers, prodigal in public, thrifty in private. He was most diligent in guarding and maintaining peace, liberal beyond comparison in almsgiving, and the peculiar defender of the Holy Land, a lover of humility, an oppressor of the nobility, and contemner of the proud. Now, huge you gotta, fan. So yeah. I'm a huge fan. So yeah. good dude. Yeah. Now you gotta, and he, he begged a wife who was a lot older. Like 14 <laughs> yeah. years older than him, so, you know, good on him. Now, you got to remember that the, the chronicler probably loved the king and so, wrote this. 
Is and that a, is that a contemporary of? Oh, uh, that was a contemporary of Henry. Okay. Oh, so he was yeah, working he had under, to say that stuff. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Manige, dilly dilly, yeah. right, whatever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that is a Bud Light commercial. Um, <laughs> we're gonna get sued for the Wheel of Fortune. We thing. are. We're gonna get yes, sued for that uh, one anyway. too. Um, but Henry II was kind of awesome. Now he was also known for being incredibly proud, loved being king, and there was one thing that happened in his life that everybody points to and says, God is going to judge Henry II for this. Okay, let's get to that. What was it? I can tell you. So Tickled um, his mother-in-law. It was weird. Henry II appointed a chancellor um, to be his sort of, um, think of it as like his secretary of state, his chancellor, his his person who was going to go off and entertain foreign dignitaries and do politics and diplomacy. His Vader to Palpatine. That's right. So his chancellor's name, he was a friar. Actually, not a friar. He was a priest. Oh, wow. And his name was Thomas Beckett. Oh, yeah. So I've heard this one. Yes. So Thomas Beckett is an interesting guy, incredibly pious, incredibly frugal in his private life. He wore a shirt of hair underneath his clothes so that it kind of irritated him. And that was to remind him that his body was... uh, a, a pro, like it was, it was to sort of chastise him and remind him that he um, shouldn't be too comfortable in mm-hmm. his body because that would take your soul. That would sort of corrupt your soul. But wasn't that common among the, it the monks of that day? Well, so it, it wasn't was, like he invented the whole hair. Oh, shirt he didn't thing. invent it, but yeah. he. But not everybody did it, and right. he wore it all the time. Now he is the top diplomat, right. so he's wearing fancy robes of gold and purple, um, chains of office, um, swords, riding horses, moving everywhere, going from town to town wearing this hair shirt. So he was incredibly pious, but the reason Henry uh, had him be the chancellor was because he could throw a party. So he himself was very frugal, but when it came to entertaining people, he was legendary at throwing parties. Came we're talking with the uh, ice slide for alcohol. He we're talking really- monkeys. <laughs> he had monkeys at his party. Did he really? Uh, he You're did. Not, okay. In the Middle Ages, he had monkeys. Rumor has around. it that he brought in like a leopards and elephants for some parties from the, from far away. Okay, dude could throw parties. Seriously, everybody loved Thomas Beckett. So I I wonder at how how great a party would be with an elephant and a leopard. I yeah. feel like it sounds awesome. it sounds really cool yeah. until you have to share a room with an elephant. Yeah. And you're like trying to avoid the smells and mm-hmm. the. The trunk mm, and the horns, like you know what I mean. It'd yeah. be really cool for a little while, and then like, oh, somebody <laughs> got mauled by the leopard. Mm-hmm. That, that's a dead guy, and yeah. then then the party kind of goes downhill. That's right. So you're, not wrong. I, you're, you're probably not wrong. Yeah. But um, but the stories, the stories are what you want. Yeah. Right. right? Like there was oh, another person legendary. That's right. Like legendary stories of, of elephants and leopards and monkeys. Monkey. Um. Anyway, so Thomas Beckett, he could throw parties, and Henry and Beckett were bros. They were buddies. They loved each other. Beckett was his right hand man. Henry was a king of, like, unbounded energy. Um, He would travel his kingdom. He never really stayed in one spot. Um, His his throne was movable. Like, he just went... He was always on on motion, and it exhausted his court, but he seemed to have unbounded energy. People were um, shocked and amazed that Henry could make it to the places he did in the time that he did. And when wars happened, like... He could surprise the enemy by being there. They're like, oh, he's, you know, 40 miles away. He's not going to be here until... And then you have his sword in your neck. Wow. Right? Like, he just... he That, that was his... Sort of his greatest strength was how mobile he was. Anyway. So, lots of cardio. Yeah, lots <laughs> of cardio. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, worked your glutes. Yeah. Yep. Um, anyway... Um, so Thomas Beckett is chancellor to the king. It is a time of peace. It is a time of prosperity. Um, Henry 
uh, enacts like justice. He brings, he, he settles disputes. Um, he tames all of the sort of rival warlords in his kingdom that were for Stephen. Like it's just, it's an, it's an awesome time. Um, and then Henry, um, uh, uh, the, this is when the popes were growing in power. And Henry didn't really like uh, uh, the sort of growing papal authority because he was king and he wanted his word to be law. He didn't want the popes to say, well, actually. Um, <laughs> and so when, it, when the Archbishop of Canterbury died, uh, he appointed Thomas Beckett, Beckett to yep. be Archbishop of Canterbury. Now he's got his bro in the highest religious see in, in England and like it is clear sailing. Well, except except it's not. Thomas Beckett, when he became archbishop, had a profound experience of being God's agent on earth. He had this profound, not a conversion because he was a Christian man, but he had this sort of profound desire to be, um, to answer to God first and to Henry second. Like, I got a job to do. I have a job to do. I am God's bishop to these people. And that put him at odds with Henry, because Henry was expecting Thomas to be like, "Yeah, man, we're gonna we're gonna run this place," and would. Henry would come and Thomas would come in and say, "Actually, um, uh, I think we are ignoring the Pope," and Henry would be like, "Yeah, that's why you got the job," <laughs> and and Thomas Beckett would be, "I um, as bishop, I don't think we should do this thing," and there was a whole string of things that really ticked Henry off. Okay, um. The king got so mad that Henry, or that Thomas Beckett had to go to France for a little bit because it just got real bad. Like, All right, let's put well, Thomas Beckett to the like side e- for a exiled, second. Right. So, Not exiled, he was just like, uh, spend time in France. Yeah. Can um, we zoom out for a second? We yes. are discussing the Plantagenets who are kind of like the first they are kings the fir- of England? Yes, Is first that what kings we're talking of England, about? correct. So just in perspective, who would be considered like the first king of England? Was it Henry? Um, it would be Henry the First. The, this guy we're talking about. Yeah, um, no, no, no. Henry the First, his his grandfather, the one who lost the kid in the boat. This okay, is, this is so, the second right mm-hmm, now. This, right. Is, this is Henry the Second. Well, after Stephen, so this mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. third king of England. That's kind of yeah. What we're if you about. want to be right. real, um, so if you so you can say that like William the Conqueror was the first king. So William one, and then his William two was just for like ten years, and then Henry the First who lost his his son in the boat, then Stephen, and now we're on Henry the Second. All right. So Norman yep. swept the Saxons. Yep. You made. England as we know mm-hmm. it, and then change things. Okay, Henry the Second. So, and then if you, uh, if you're keeping track of the score at home, <laughs> yep. um, William the Conqueror died in 1087. Henry the Second became king in 1154. So, so under 100 70, years, yeah. 70 yeah. years of mm-hmm. Britain as okay. we know it. Anyway, so uh, Thomas Becket, Bishop of Canterbury, is kind of off the scene for a second. We need to talk about Henry the Second's kids. So Becket is not making good parties anymore. No, not no. making good parties. He is. Like um, we should be better stewards of those monkeys. Yes, mm. yes, yes, exactly. These sorts <laughs> of things. They should the monkeys should be like paying tithes and all the, you know, these kinds of things. <laughs> all right, Henry the Second has some kids. Um, his children are. Um, let me see. I, I always forget the order. So Henry the Second had Henry, known as the Young King, Richard, J- uh, um, oh. Jeffrey, and John. The reason I say Jeffrey is because he dies. Um, Wait, so, so he, he named him Jeffrey because the kid died? No, no, no. I, the only reason I can never remember him is because he's not he's a big just player not in the story. Okay. Um, so, let me say that again. So Henry, who's known as the Young King, Richard, who is known as Coeur Lion or Lionheart, um, uh, Jeffrey, who's known as the guy who dies early, okay. and John, who's known as Wicked Prince John or the John of Robin Hood. That's cool. Yay! So we'll get there. Really? Wow. Yeah. Okay. Henry II. 
Um, Henry II has these kids, and they all inherit Henry's energy, desire for power, um, love of intricate plans. Military prowess. Military prowess and, like, impatience. And the blood of Satan. And the blood of (laughs) Satan. Not a good combination to have. No. William says, sorry, yeah, his son, um, uh, Henry, I always, yeah, so Henry comes to Henry II, the king, and says, I want to be king now. And Henry says, I'm currently king. It's like the prodigal son, right? Can't I, be king I now. want my inheritance now. And then, yes, Henry says, no, I want to be king right now. Um, let's do co-kings. I want to be king of Normandy. Co-king. Yes. <laughs> oh, no, we got an update there. Oh. We have to do co-kings, yeah. not Cocaine. cocaine. Oh, not cocaine. <laughs> yeah. I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> the story takes a while. Dad, I want to be king right now. We have to do cocaine. <laughs> what just happened? Um, no, we have to be co-kings. And he's like, I could be king of France. You could be king of England. And we can just yeah. separate the empire. And I want my inheritance now. Yeah. And Henry. Does and, he eventually eat the food of pigs? And Henry II oh, wow. says, nah. um, yeah. fine. Because um, Henry, the young king, decides that he's going to raise an army and fight his dad. Oh, wow. And he kind of does. And his mom, Eleanor of Aquitaine, by this point, Henry II and Eleanor of Aquitaine, not friends. Oh, wait, the, the one he married? The, the wife she married? She goes back to Aquitaine, and she basically rules Aquitaine. And Henry is traveling around, ruling his kingdom, and they don't really spend time together. But they're still married? Something happens, and we don't know. History does not know what it is. Why Eleanor and Henry had a falling out. Some people think Eleanor fell in love with a lover. Some people think Henry's philandering as king really ticked her off. Um, or maybe just time apart. What's probably ha- well, and, and she um, and she really wanted to see her children advance in life. So she wanted Richard, her favorite, to be Duke of Aquitaine, and she wanted uh, Henry, her firstborn, to be king in her lifetime. So everyone's basically wanting Henry II to die. And he's like in his 40s. He's like, guys, I am at my prime. Leave me alone. Um, Anyway. But what kid doesn't want their dad to die when they're 40? Exactly, yeah. I'm just kidding. Oh, my goodness. Uh, (laughs) I mean, isn't 40 years old like right around when your kids are probably hitting like 18, 22? They're thinking they're hot stuff. They think they know more than their parents. They want something to rule, something to be in charge of. Like, it makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like, that's the point at which you really want to you know, stretch your wings a little totally. bit. And if you're a prince, that means being king. Because yeah. if you're, you, he's, you know, you are prince, there, he doesn't really do anything. He's kind of just like waiting to rule. And he wants to kind of rule now. And his dad does not want to give up power. And especially because right? you're at the height of your energies. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. You're you're just hitting 18 to 22. You are at the prime of life. It is time for you to do something. Mm-hmm. And if you're, especially if your dad is a dad like Henry, mm-hmm. it would be like, you have to go sit here and talk to these diplomats, and you're like, I, I want to rule mm-hmm. and also destroy things. Yeah. So the only thing that Henry, the young king, could do is he did the uh, tournament circuit. So he would go to all of these different jousting tournaments oh. in France and in Germany, the Holy Roman Empire, everywhere, and he would win. And he was great. And he became best bros with my man, William Marshall. <laughs> So William Marshall was his secondhand man. William Marshall was one of these great is young this the knight. This is the knight. Oh. So William Marshall was this great young um, um, uh, knight who was Henry the Young King's best buddy. Graham has told me about just for the listeners' mm-hmm. reference. I'm excited because I've heard about this knight before. So William Marshall is awesome, and they would fight in these tournaments together. Um, um, and these tournaments were great. There was one story where William Marshall fought in this tournament, and he stole another dude's horse, which was like the hardest thing to do. And he did it because by getting his head smashed in. He was wearing a helmet, uh, but he took but he took the horse, and it was a big, great victory. 
but then he couldn't get his helmet off because it got smashed. Ooh. So he had to go to a blacksmith, and while he was getting... Uh, they, uh, they announced who was the greatest knight in the tournament, and it was William Marshall, and they couldn't find him. And when they found him, he had his head on the anvil with the blacksmith <laughs> foot on his shoulders trying to pull the helmet <laughs> off William Marshall's head, and it janked his neck, and oh. he had neck problems for his whole life. Poor guy. Anyway. Bummer. But he won the best tournament. Yeah, That's William Marshall. He'll join our story a little bit later. So, Henry the Young King wants to be king. He threatens his dad with war to be the king, and he has the backing of his mom, Eleanor of Aquitaine, because Eleanor is ticked at her husband, and she wants her son to be king. Henry's kind of trapped. King Henry's kind of trapped, and he says, fine, we can be co-rulers together. That'll but, work out. Yeah. That's always, that kings are good always... Mm-hmm. Good at like, sharing authority. Yeah, good yeah. at sharing authority. And really, in all of history, yeah. we've seen so many examples of a two-person yep. ruling mm-hmm. situation that work, you know works out every time. So... Um, King, so, in or, so then the king decides that he's going to have his son coronated as a king. And so to do this, you need the Bishop of Canterbury to Ooh. do it. Now, meanwhile, the Bishop of Canterbury is Thomas Becket, and Thomas Becket does not want to do it. Yep. So, um, Has he come back? He is not. Oh. King Henry goes and he gets the Bishop of York. Oh. And he gets the Bishop of York to, um, um, to bring, to, to um, um, what's the word? Um, um, to make coronate. king, coronate, coronate, to coronate Henry the Young King, and he does, and Beckett's ticked. I bet. Beckett writes this really nasty letter, and it goes back and forth, um, and um, and he eventually comes back to Canterbury because he's like, all right, you're going crazy without me here. I'm staying in Canterbury, so you can't do other church stuff. Um, I've got the seal of Canterbury, so, like, back off. I want to pour oil on people's heads. <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah. the oil was God's holy presence yeah. Um, anointing the king with his authority as God's hammer, which is what they called it, which is awesome. So one of my one of my favorite parts of Moby Dick is when mm-hmm. he talks about how weird it is that we anoint kings. He's like, mm-hmm. we always look down on men who anoint mm-hmm. their hair, and especially like I wonder if if we're anointing kings so that their brain works well, like we anoint machines with oil. <laughs> He's like, maybe it maybe it you know loosens everything up in there because we're we're basically pouring oil on them like we would a salad, and mm-hmm. that's just very strange. It's a it's a great little bit of Moby Dick. The anointing ceremony is pretty awesome. So you come in and as the as the king, they strip you to the waist, so you're shirtless, which gets a little awkward when it's queens. Um, you're shirtless and you have to lie spread face down on the ground in front of the altar. You have to lie prostate, prostrate, sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah. Lying prostate is I'm a different I'm not going to edit that. Nope, um, keep it in. This is so good. Wow. I can't love, believe I did that. I love this podcast. You have to lie prostrate in front of the <laughs> altar. Um, um, basically, and you have to do it for like... Like ten minutes, and everyone just has to watch you lying there. This this man of power lying in front of of God's bishop and his altar, and then you stand up, and he pours oil all down your sword arm and mm. on your head, and you get crossed, and um, and then you rode with everything. And the oil is supposed to represent the authority of God that you have in your sword arm to smash to like smash people, and then also in your your head to anoint you, your brain and your, your decision-making prowess. And then the bishop slaps you in the face. Mm. Uh, we've talked about bishop we slaps have. before. Yeah. Anyway, so then you're king. So Henry is now Wait, Henry. For those who didn't listen to those podcasts, what does oh, the bishop Oh, the bishop slaps you in the face. And there We are, don't know why. Yeah, I was going to say, we don't know why, but you said one of the reasons might be it's the last time you can it's get It's the slapped. last time you can get slapped without getting to, like... Retaliate. Retaliate yeah. with a war or yeah. whatever. Anyway. That's fun. And they do that to knights as well. So Henry is now the young king. 
and it does not go well. Oh. Uh, he wants more power. Yeah. The co-ruling does not go well. Oh, I'm, I am surprised. <laughs> but anyway, so that's so he's festering, and Henry wants, the young king wants more power. Meanwhile, Henry II is so mad at Becket that at one day in his castle, there's talking, and he's reading a letter from Becket, which is kind of testy. Becket had a, had a temper himself, and the king says, will somebody not rid me of this troublesome priest? Ooh. And some of his and some of his king's henchmen were like, "Did he just? Did he say that? Does he want us to get rid of this priest?" And the guy's like, "Probably. Let's go do it." Ooh. Four men ride to Canterbury in the middle of the night. They kick down the door of the Church of Canterbury. Mm. The bishop Thomas Becket kind of got wind that they were coming, and he thought he was going to get arrested. So he put on his full bishop vestments. So when they came in, he was wearing the full regalia of being a bishop. Mm. And he is standing at the apse of the church by God's altar. And he is praying. So he is praying at the altar. And they come in and they kill him. They chop off the top half of his head and step on his brains Mm. in the cathedral. I can't imagine doing that and not feeling some sort of guilt afterwards. Oh, yeah. Like, as as even a henchman, like, yeah. knowing that you're a henchman, knowing that you're doing this, and maybe even expecting a reward, you gotta, like, that's gotta fester. That's gotta, right? yeah. Killing the bishop of God as he prays and then tr- stomping on his yep, brains. stomping on his brains. It scandalizes the Christian world. Yeah. Immediately, a devotion to uh, now St. Thomas Becket arises. He is immediately canonized as a saint for dying for... God and the Pope against worldly authority. Um, Canterbury. That's that's mm, that's not going to cause problems. Canterbury becomes one of the centers of of religious devotion in England. Um, um, uh, At the beginning, if you ever read um, Canterbury Tales, it's about people going on pilgrimage to Canterbury because they're praying to St. Thomas of Becket uh, to make them healthy. So, Henry II goes, ah, dang it, Um, and immediately is under fire. The Pope's like, so should I excommunicate you now or excommunicate you later? Wow. And Henry uh, does what every good king does when he is in trouble. He flees to Ireland. <laughs> so he goes. It's, to, it's nice there. Yeah. Although I don't imagine in Ireland there's a lot of hiding places. Right. Like, a lot of, right. It's like big grassy fields. But it is like picturesque it. and quiet, and you know sheep and anyway. <laughs> so he hangs out there for a while till things kind of blow over. Meanwhile, King of England's gone. King of England 2.0 is like my dad's gone, taking over. This is mine now. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. So the the guy who fled was King Henry the Second. The guy that used to be his best bud. Yes. Yeah. He yeah, he murdered. He ordered the murder of. His I thought this friend. was his other son, mm-mm, the the, mm-mm. the son that said, "I want to be king now." No. That had just killed Beckett. No. So these like he he just had his best friend killed on accident. On accident, and he feels terrible, but Eww. he's also kind of ticked yeah. at him, and he's hiding out in Ireland trying to figure out what his next move is. Meanwhile, his son is like power. Oh yeah, because the they were ruining, they were co-ruling, right. and now one of those is gone. Stepped away. So he starts when the. When the Cats away, the... The mice will play. The mice will play. That's yeah. what it is. So, Henry, the young king, um, now starts sorry, gobbling up land and saying, like, my dad's gone, I'm king now. And Eleanor is like, yes, go, my child. Mm. Um, <laughs> and her other son, Richard, is now firmly Duke of Aquitaine, and people in Aquitaine don't like um, being part of England, and so he, Richard is always, like, kicking butt in Aquitaine. He's got to, like, put down all of these these guys. Anyway... Okay, um, so we we're we're pushing time. Yeah, is there, we are we getting close? Or let are me, we like um, if we're if we're a ways away? I this has been great. Do we want to do a two parter? I, I think we're gonna do a two parter. Let me let me get to 
Uh, how much? What time are we at? Uh, let me check. This is super interesting for the listeners. I am sure uh, we're we're pushing fifty. Okay. Fifty five. Then let me get to the let me get to the end of Henry II's reign, and then we'll we can pick it up with Richard. Cool. Okay. So. Um, Richard II is in Ireland sort of weathering the storm. His son is kind of taking over. His mom's super happy. His son's not a very good fighter. Mm. He's a great tournament guy, but he's not a very good at war. Um, he's, he's good when they're, you're fighting one person that's right. in a very <laughs> con- a controlled situation. That's yeah. right. It's, it's, like, it's like playing chess at the championship versus playing chess in a windstorm. Playing yeah. battle chess. Yeah. <laughs> Battle chess with a sword and dogs and yeah. Anyway, so he's taking on so what Henry II says, crap, I gotta get back to my kingdom and I gotta make it right. So what he does is he goes wearing a sackcloth to Canterbury and lays down in front of the place where Thomas Beckett was murdered and begs God for forgiveness in a very loud public way. Yeah. And everyone's like, Oh, he's so pious. That's so good. Our king's so pious. Um, and everyone's back on Henry's side, and the Pope is like, oh, man, Henry, I see what you did. Um, as long as you pay attention to me now, and Henry's like, fine, I will pay attention to you, Pope. Anyway, so he's back. Okay. And so he goes, and he need, knows that he kind of needs to throw down with his son, but he doesn't want to because it's his son. son. Right. Well. It doesn't feel good to kill yeah. your own kids. No. His son does something incredibly convenient. Uh, and dies, dies of dysentery. Oh, yeah. nice. Yeah. So like in... Wait, really? like in Wait, yeah, dysentery? Like in, dysentery. So he, dysentery. he was dysentery. heading to Oregon, huh? Yeah, he, yeah. So like Oregon <laughs> Trail style, um, Henry the Young King dies of dysentery. Um, dysentery, I can't remember the word. What's the word? Dysentery. Yeah, anyway. Dysentery. He poops himself to death, which okay. is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would... That's way more fun to say than yeah. dysentery. Dysentery is euphemistic, right? Yeah. We should just say he pooped himself, he to, pooped death. himself to death. <laughs> way more fun. And on his deathbed, he tells his best oh. friend, William Marshall, he says, I want you to take up the cross and go on a pilgrimage in Jerusalem. Hmm. And I want you to he take... He tells this to who? William Marshall. Okay. And I think he says, I the want night, you to right? cut out my heart and take it to Jerusalem. Wow. So my heart is buried in Jerusalem. And William's like, okay. Um, and he does. So he does that? I feel like he that's a weird that. thing to have in your backpack. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, it's going to cause, mm-hmm. if you ever get searched, or it's just going to smell, smell after a while. Yeah. So, William Marshall goes to Jerusalem, and um, and so now, if we're keeping track, William Marshall, he has served King Henry II. He was like a, like a young, sort of knightly guy. And then Henry II said, go be with my son. And so they became best friends, and he served his son, who became a king. So now William Marshall has served two kings, mm. and he is in the Holy Land. And so we will, his story will pick up later. So now Richard is in line to be king. And, and he's Duke and of He is Duke Aquitaine. of Aquitaine, and he is a military genius. Oh, wow. Genius. Well, he's been spending all his young he, life putting exactly, down rebellions. rebellions. And so his mo- and he's his mom's favorite. Mm. And she says, Richard, I want you to fight your dad. Wow. And, and this is Richard Richard the Lionheart, Richard Lionheart from Robin, uh, Hood. Robin Hood fame. Yes. And he says, okay, I will. Meanwhile, Henry II is, he's not old, but he's sickly. And, he's, and so they have a couple of fights. They do actually have pitched battles where they fight each other. And it comes to this point where... Um, John, the youngest, um, um, evil uh, Prince John, evil Prince John and rich. So John was Henry II's favorite, which is weird because John's a scumbag. Mm. Um, but when John aligns himself with Richard instead of Henry II, it is one thing too much for Henry II. When Henry and the, the, the fourth son has died, right? Uh, well, uh, not yet, but I mean, we'll t- um, yes, he has, but I haven't, yeah, we haven't talked about it. Okay. I'm just, a, I'm just trying to like get all four yeah, kids. So right. we've had one die of poop. One die of poop. Richard II is, is going to be king. 
and, and then, then John have, is his squirrely, squirmish. Uh, right, Richard the brother. Lionheart's going to be king, yeah. and then little. So little Jeffrey, John. Jeffrey was never a player in the game. He dies. He was best friends with Philip II of France, and the very sad story is story is that when um, Jeffrey dies young. Um, Philip of France is so sad that he actually jumps in the grave while they're burying him and wow. hugs his dead body. Aww. It's really sad. Touching. Um, anyway, so Richard um, says, all right, Dad, I'm coming for you. And then a letter arrives. Uh, and there's a list of all the people who are on Richard's side. And the messenger is reading it. And he gets to the last name, which is John. And he, he won't read it. And the king says, who else is on that list? And he says, it is your son, John. And Henry gives up the will to fight. Yeah. He is he is he is crushed and sad. Um, they have one more battle, and he's really sick. And they have to carry him to battle on like a cart. Wow! And he's wearing his armor, and he can barely lift his sword. And this lion of England is now this broken old man who still won't like give up power. Um, but uh, he eventually does die. And uh, Richard, when he finds out about the death of his dad, kind of coolly. Um, and like heartlessly is like good, and then he is now king of England, Richard the first. And so I guess, power seems to be good for the family. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And Eleanor of Aquitaine is super pumped because her favorite son is now king of everything, and he's a boss, and he can he can crush everybody. And there is only one thing that Richard wants to do, and that is glory in the Holy Land. Oh, so. I guess that's where we'll end with the story of... So we get to start next time with Richard the, Richard the Lionheart in, in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. That's cool. That's a, that's a great place. Um, and I guess we don't even have time to talk about the Wheel of Fortune. We'll get there. Um, so we'll have to get there next time. Um, so your intro... Can I play it be, again? No, you can't. Another 15 um, seconds? So, so the fun thing about that is that I, I could title this podcast like... With a wheel of fortune, but not because yeah. <laughs> we didn't talk about it at all. That's right, but it's a fun, it's a great story, yeah. and I mean, we're barely into it. There are so many more great tales. Um, you guys, history is great, and yeah. like uh, the more I delve into history, the more I find like this. For some reason, my my high school classes weren't that awesome. I spent one entire high school class, an honors history class, learning about Lewis and Clark, and while they're great. I don't want to know how they misspelled mosquito in yeah, their yeah. journals, nope. right? Yeah. We just went too far into it. So yeah. history never, is a history is a super fun to dive into. I never learned medieval history. Usually it's like the church was strong, then the Reformation happened. Yeah. Right? And, That's all I learned. And they call it the Dark Ages yeah. when it's not it might not even be accurate. Mm-hmm. It's not. There's yeah. tons of amazing stuff. Do you want to, do you want to say where you're getting this information from, Graham? So, I uh, I've got it from a couple of places. A lot of it I got from Winston Churchill's History of the English Speaking People, but I also got it from a great book um, by Dan Jones called The Plantagenets. Oh. So, he wrote a book called The Plantagenets. He wrote a book about the War of the Roses, which is when the Plantagenet dynasty ends. Which is fun because did you know that that's what Game of Thrones is based lot, on? Yeah. Huh. Game of, of Thrones is. is based on the War of mm-hmm. the Roses. It's actual British history. And then he wrote another book purely on the Magna Carta, and the Magna Carta was a document that the, arose. The album by yeah, the album, Jay-Z? Yeah, by Jay-Z. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The a- Magna Carta arose because King Prince John, who became King John, was a total doofus. Mm. Um, his nickname was, because uh, he lost all he lost a lot of land, his nickname was Lackland. And because he was really <laughs> bad in battle, his nickname was Soft Sword. <laughs> Blackland and soft sword. Yeah, so bad. Not and a good didn't, guy. Didn't he only rule for a little while until Richard came back from the... He ruled for a long time. Really? Yeah, we'll get there. But didn't he get smoked when Richard came back? Yes, but he was Prince John. He became King John. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Well, on that note, it's like a cliffhanger ending. This yep. is good. Yeah. Well, hey, um, this has been Classical Stuff You Should Know. Uh, does anyone have any quotes? Ooh, hold on. Let me look. Okay. I'm sure I got something in here. Oh, I've got one. Actually, I've got one exactly.
exactly for this topic that I forgot to read at the beginning. Cool. So this is Gerard of Wales, and he was a contemporary of a lot of the Plantagenets. I can't remember which king he was in. He might have been in Edward III, but I can't remember. Um, but he said this about thinking about the history of kings and rulers. For a sensible man ought to consider that fortune's favor is variable and her wheel is ever turning. The prince must take care and always have imprinted on his mind the fact that although the merciful creator is long-suffering and patient, he is likewise severe in executing punishment and vengeance upon the stubborn and willful and usually begins to exact that punishment here on earth. Mm. So like how I said, um, Henry II had that bishop murdered. Everybody in England said that the wars with his kids were God's punishment on Henry II for that murder. And so that was just understood. It's like God's punishing him for killing a bishop. Yeah. He's losing his, his, his kingdom. Anyway, fascinating stuff. AJ, did you have one too? Uh, yeah, I mean, it doesn't really have anything to do with this. I was just looking and I don't think I read this last time. It's, it's another one from the Megas uh, by a dude that wrote the Megas, I forget his name. Uh, and it's, it says, one kind of person is engaged in society without realizing it. Another kind engages in society by controlling it. The one is a gear, a cog, and the other an engineer, a driver. But a person who has opted out has only his ability to express his disengagement between his existence and nothingness. Good stuff. Good. Hey, if you want to uh, send over any ideas for future topics, um, say how much you're loving the podcast, uh, constructive criticism. Actually, scratch that last one. Just come say nice things to us. Uh, <laughs> classical stuff. Again, cat memes. Cat memes. Appreciate uh, it. Fan art. Um, Pictures of your dog. Yep. Uh, though my dog is cuter than all y'all's dogs. Ah. I have a dog. Well, th that's why it's cuter. Uh, classical stuff at veritasacademy.net is the email address. Uh, classical stuff.net is the. Um, URL. URL. Website. What are those things called? If you want to follow us on Twitter, uh, we're at, at C-L-C-C-L-S-S-C-A-L-Stuff. Clitzical stuff. stuff. Um, I think Graham is the one posting most of the stuff there, but some good articles that he's been sharing up there. Yep. So thanks for doing that. Hey, if you enjoy the episodes, would you please share them with a friend? We really appreciate that. Uh, go rate and review. It would be great, too. Um, anyway, this is uh, AJ, Graham, and Thomas, and this has been Classical Stuff. Thanks, everyone. Ciao. Ciao.